this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This episode of Katie Piper's Extraordinary People is brought to you by Twining's Defence Superblend. A delicious citrus and ginger flavoured herbal infusion with green tea, echinacea root and added vitamin C. Vitamin C supports the normal function of the immune system. Hi guys, we're at the Twining's Here For You event in London going live with my podcast Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Thank you very much. I think lots of us identify um, as different roles. Um, and here today, I'm in my podcast role. So we are here with Twinings today. Um, and the whole thing behind me partnering up with them today is they want to empower us and encourage us to actually form some new habits um, and habits that make us feel good. So in regards to the tea, what I've done is picked a super blend that I'm going to make sure I make a new habit of drinking every day. And the one that suits me is the defense. So if you're already following uh, my podcast, I suppose you'll realize that that actually fits in quite nicely with some of the previous guests that I've been fortunate enough to have on to talk to me because they've all shown incredible defense, incredible emotional resilience. Um, And it's often a question that I get asked in interviews, uh, you know, what does emotional resilience mean to me? And I was last night thinking about today and how I'd answer that question because it's such a personal, individual thing. You know, in the world of social media, people are very quick to criticise or correct us. And actually, I believe this is something that's individual to each person. So mine is born from an experience in my own life. And I've almost made it into a mantra, really. And it's something I always repeat when I doubt myself or other people might make me feel inferior. And that is that I am a stronger person than the person who harmed me. And I don't mean this physically, because you're probably thinking you're a three-foot tall, wrinkly mole. You're definitely not, not stronger than the person that tried to hurt you. But it's that emotional strength and resilience. And actually, in a world of aesthetic beauty and these physical aspirations of the body that we have, we're missing a trick because emotional strength is far greater than physical. And you'll find through your life that there'll be scenarios and, and some, some of the unthinkable will happen to some of us. And that emotional strength will carry you through those moments. <laughs> but as you can see, there's great correlation between us as, as a partnership. So we've got a lot to cover today in this podcast. And as you can already see from just the intro, I talk loads. So I've got an amazing guest today. 
he's about to come on stage and he's a man that learned to read at the age of 34 years old. I'm 35, so that's quite a story already without hearing what else happened. That same man then went on to graduate with a medical science degree at the age of 46. Now, that's quite an intro, and I don't know about you, but I kind of feel intimidated by him already. So please put your hands together and welcome John Spence to the stage. Hello, welcome. It's lovely to see you. Now, we started the morning, I said, have you travelled far? And I was just about to moan to you about my travel, and you were like, yeah, I came from Tenerife. (laughs) (laughs) So that is is quite far. Um, Now, welcome to the podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled that you agreed to join me and uh, my lovely friends at Twining Superblends today. Um, and, you know, they, they, they brief me on their mission and what they're trying to do, and it's all around sort of people embracing uh, change and sort of small positive steps to get the most out of their day. And I feel like we really fit the bill by getting you on. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, your whole story is about positive mindset and, em- and embracing change. So I want to start at the very beginning, which is your school years. Mm. And they were different to a lot of people's. Right? Yeah. Um, in school, typically, <clears throat> going back quite a few years, I'm a lot older than I look, by the way. So. <laughs> is, that, is that due to tea? It's the tea, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was pretty much classed as a, as a naughty boy in school, which is a general thing for people who've heard it so many times. But the thing with me was... Um, I didn't know at the time I had several conditions and neither did the teachers or the doctors or pretty much anyone at that time. I couldn't read Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't write. Um, The reason I couldn't do this is because I had a neurological problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, it wasn't seen. It wasn't blood coming out everywhere, so no doctor could treat it. So they just labelled me pretty much as a, as a naughty boy. And did you believe that? I believed that because they told me all the time. To the point where, um, when I looked at a page, um, the letters would move around. They would physically, uh, move, physically around. move around. They would come out at three D in me, and they'd turn like rivers. Wow. That on the page. And I thought all this time, right the way up to my early twenties that everyone saw the same. Of course you would, yeah. Because no one diagnosed me, no one said you have Erlen syndrome or um, your dyslexia is a very, very severe case. My hyperactivity, ADHD, was put down to uh, being a boisterous, naughty boy Mm. who wanted to disrupt the school. And when people put labels on us in life, like calling you a naughty boy, I feel like once you get labelled, you act how people say you are. That's so true. So when you're you're told you're stupid, you're incapable, you almost conform to that. And especially when so many people tell you, and I struggled so much to understand, um, and as a young lad I couldn't end through school, um, it, I, I ended up running away, I ended up not wanting to go there, it was um, the teachers used to mock me. The teachers? The teachers did. And way? Well, they knew I couldn't read, they thought that there was some pretense there or something like that, or I didn't want to, or I was just being naughty. So, um, and I tried to explain to them several times, they're moving, the words are moving, and I was told, don't be stupid like that you're just trying to you're a liar yeah you're a liar so <clears throat> as well as being a liar and stupid and they used to make a lesson out of me and as a young boy they used to stand me on the on the, on the chair in front of the class and on the, chair. on the chair and they used to give me a book knowing full well I couldn't read what, what year was this this was between well this, this was in secondary school I was about 14, 13, 14. Okay. And they, I used to stand me on the chair and give me a book to read. Right. And I couldn't read it. 
and I would get very embarrassed. I developed a very bad stutter. And you think the stutter was because, because of the Because of the education. And the teachers used to stand there and say to me then, look how stupid you are. Everyone else can read, you can't. How not to teach? Yeah. How not to mentor? Yeah. And how then, did you, would you react with aggression? I would, I would start crying, but I had to stay on the chair. And she'd get all the children to laugh at me. So were you like bullied that. by your peer group? Well? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Because once a teacher says you're stupid, then that filters down. And then everyone thinks you're stupid. And um, I, I was at a loss. I didn't really like myself. I had no self-worth. I had no confidence, you know. And I couldn't understand why, because I thought, well, everyone is still seeing the same as I do. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there was no diagnosis. There was no, well, there was no even investigation no, into it. All. You were just stupid. Was, you were lying. Yeah, yeah. you were disruptive. It took its toll on me to very great, great lengths mm-hmm. to the point where I struggled with the reading and writing, but I didn't understand either. Mm-hmm. You know? So I had to find some sort of coping mechanism as time went on. And my coping mechan- mechanism was to, was to lie, was to bluff. Mm-hmm. was to try and make out that I did know things that I didn't know. So you'd pretend you could, would you pretend you could read? And, yeah, and... yeah, I would pretend. And it's very hard. Or you'd make excuses. It was potentially dangerous, yeah. like just trying to get the bus, trying to order food, read a menu. Yeah. I, I made a big mistake because so I thought, well, I've got to find a way. And what I did was listen to other people's conversation. And because I can't decipher the truth from not the truth, mm-hmm. I thought, well, if these people read, so they must be telling the truth. Right. So I used to, I used to listen to their conversations, and then I would repeat their conversations in another setting or another conversation or a, a place where it came up, whether it be about, you know, sports, um, yeah, cooking, politics, you know, whatever. And that's how a baby learns to speak, exactly. mi- mimicking what they hear. Yeah. But the thing was for me, um, because I didn't know what was right and what was wrong. You know, I would repeat things that were. Co- Obviously incorrect. Well, I love Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but I, I, do, I definitely am, uh, repeat some things, and those things that I repeated were incorrect. They'd make me look stupid. What sort of stuff? Was it stuff that would get you into trouble? Stuff that would get me into trouble, and stuff that would offend other people. Like what? The things about um, someone told me something once about pregnant ladies. Mm. Like that you know, and. Uh, not how they make the babies. I think I, I got that down to a T, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> near enough. It's like near nine enough. <laughs> but actually, you know, um, something about the babies, won't go into it, but I said this to a lady, yeah. uh, or a couple of ladies, and I think I was very intelligent saying this, yeah. and it was very offensive. I mean, looking back now, you know, you can't say things like that. But I did. I clearly didn't know. Well, that's the thing, because you could be listening to, like, gossip, and yeah. people gossip, and I used to it's not going to be repeated. Yeah, and then you go and repeat it. But what else were you to do? You didn't... Exactly. Where were your parents in all of this? Oh, I had a very difficult, uh, very difficult growing up with parents. Uh, mum was there, but um, uh, she, she was very busy back in the day, you know. Dad was never there. I don't really, uh, never really spent much time uh, with him before he went away. So, mm-hmm. um, so it wasn't. And then it, it was, I was moved, moved from place to place and place to place to place growing up. So it wasn't that stable in any case. Right, so you and had a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty. I'll just go back initially um, because 
during all that, my life was very, very uncertain. And, you know, it was a case of go to prison or join the military near enough, you yeah. know, and I actually then uh, joined the military. I, I had a big brother who was my, who was my idol. Okay. Okay. And, and was life different for your big brother? It was a lot different for, for big brother and that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's family wasn't majorly close or anything like that, but he was still my idol, the only person who would listen to me, you know, even if he thought I was telling lies, because that's uh -huh. what it was put down to. So um, all your younger years, you were cast as a liar. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, very much so. That's very, quite hurtful. Very much so. Did you start to believe, yeah, am I course. lying? Yeah, of am course. I? Yeah, of course. And then you just do it naturally, and, and you don't... It's not malicious, it's not to hurt anyone, it's to cover my own weaknesses, it's to build my own confidences. But it does, I see how, it, looking back now, I do see how, how it went, and... And it did hurt some people the lies, but like I say, it was never meant for that. But maybe it was all you ever knew how to do, because it's like if you've been in a controlling relationship mm -hmm. and somebody tells you you're good for nothing, you're this, you're that, you turn into that, you believe that, mm -hmm. and, and you know it's that sense of manipulation is is so great. That is, that's very much so as well. And um, fortunately, I had a, quite a bad experience. Um, you know, I pretty much went looking for love. I'm obviously... So hold on, you left, you left school? Yeah, left school. You had an O-level in home ec. I had home economics. Yeah. Well, it was practical. Don't be there. Yeah, you know, sort of thing, so yeah. I can scramble an egg. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> quite confidently. Um, yeah, sorry. So uh, by that time, you know, things were getting really bad and, you know, I needed some sort of uh, get out. And the military for me was, was a blessing. They took me on back in, I think it was 89 or something like that, that I, that I joined. But you had another huge secret. I did, yeah, I did. Uh, which was... I, I, was, I was gay, okay? And it was illegal to be in the military uh, at that time. What, uh, what year? Being gay, that was, 19... 80, that was 89, 1989. It was illegal in 1989 yeah, it was, yeah, it was to be illegal, gay yeah. And then they moved to a point where they say, don't tell, don't see, which means we don't want to know, don't do anything. Yeah. But you know, for those years, I couldn't come out even, so I was struggling with my reading and writing, and I, and I, was, and I was gay. How long had you known about your sexuality? How, how long had you been sure? Um, to be really honest, around about the age of about 13, but I'd always suppressed it, always right. suppressed it, and always had good girlfriends, yeah, very beautiful girlfriends like yourself. Okay, well thank you very much. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I had an experience once with somebody who wanted to, um, like, role play, uh -huh. like, um, like with relative stuff. No. Yes. No. That's a and hard I couldn't. Pass. And I said, I said, um, they no. wanted. They first said, da like, dad, daddy, oh, and, and, and I said, um, well, that's not so bad. But, um. So I suggested maybe like, I said, maybe the most I could do is uncle. <laughs> okay, so that was just a snippet of an episode with actor and podcaster Justin Long. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and I'm telling you, you need to listen to the full episode on my podcast, Dinner's On Me. Over a meal at Pine and Crane in downtown LA, we get into his love story with Kate Bosworth, his career, and so much more. To listen, just search Dinner's On Me wherever you listen to podcasts. 
you know, looking back now, like for any young man mm. um, to, sh- you know, wrestle with their sexuality and all yeah. that uncertainty and the way you were bullied and humiliated by teachers, you know, what must have been going on in your head of trying to understand who you genuinely really were? That's like, the thing I didn't. So I, I created this other persona uh, called Johnny Boy. And this, so there were two. So there was, there was Johnny, John Spence. Yeah. And there was Johnny Boy. And mm-hmm. Johnny Boy was the a very confident one, you know, who would go out there and see all the girls and uh, be friends with everyone and everything. And would you have physical relationships with women? Uh, yes, yes, right. yes, um, to a point. But then inside myself, John, I was, the, was the one wanting to learn, wanting to not lie, wanting to read and write, wanting to tell, look, you know, I'm, I'm gay, you know, mm-hmm. like that. But that was that had to be suppressed and that was very... That was, that was very, very difficult <coughs> in the military to do. Because knowing, again, you were carrying something that was going to make you possibly mm. be ridiculed, rejected, mm. just like all those years ago at yeah. school with the pattern yeah. carrying on. And, it, and the pattern did, does carry on, because if I look back, I felt if, I, if anyone knew or anything happened, then I'd be back to standing on the school, being mocked on the chair. Yeah. I feel like that was a real defining moment in your life. Of, I think anyone that struggled with confidence can look back at those defining moments where your confidence was shattered by somebody. You know, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's, those... that's literally the points where they broke me, mm. completely broke me. And that's the point, you know, where I lost anything in any confidence or anything in myself. Mm-hmm. But in the army, you, you became quite senior. Yeah, you, yeah. Were, you, well, know, you did really well in the military. I really did. I had, um, and you know, as, as much as I scared myself, actually looking at it, my colleagues and friends in the army were actually very, very supportive. Oh, really? Very That's supportive. Like that. They so were, did you tell people the truth about? The no, region? not they. Kind of guessed. But no one said anything because we were a close bunch. You know, we went to Iraq, we went to Afghanistan, we went to places. It's like another family, a family, you know, outside of family or a family I never had, you know, kind of that mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, I... You got some of the acceptance you yes, missed yeah. out on. And a lot yeah. of help as well from a lot of my military colleagues. Uh-huh. Um, but Iraq, know. I mean, you're still putting yourself in hostile environments. Yeah, but up to that, that point, I, I was very... I didn't really care what happened to myself. I wasn't. Really? I that's didn't see the future too much. And, you know, Do you think that's low self-esteem? Very you much low, we low stop, self-esteem. We stop caring, don't yeah, we, about yeah. us? And, and you think, well, if it happens to me, it happens to me, take those risks, you know? And, yeah, you know, I was a bit reckless, uh, to say the least. Um, but, uh, you know, I came back and... What are you hinting at with the recklessness? Uh, no, just just taking risks. Just taking risks. With substances? No, with more much sort of my own life kind of thing, you know, doing stupid things uh-huh. and taking, taking challenges that you would never usually take in, in any sane mind. Yeah. Right? So then, from then, uh, the military really brought me in and I kind of had a good sense of being there. And they started to put me back together. Which was fantastic, and the and how out in the open were you out about your sexuality? No, not then, um, no. and I still wasn't out um, properly until I had near enough left the military. And were you out about your mm, undiagnosed uh, condition? N- no, no. How no. do you hide that from people? Because surely there's paperwork. Yeah, involved. you have very good, very, very, very good friends, and that's the army. You know, you 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 battle together, you sleep side by side, and you become a bond of families. So if you struggle in the military, someone will help you. And technology advances. Obviously, we get 
things like you know the computers came in my i think i've thrown away my um commodore 64 now oh, really? <laughs> you're I've making me feel old I know <laughs> one thing i'd be interested to know because this for me will really put into perspective your struggle what did you come out about first in the army your sexuality or what was going on with your condition my my sexuality so it was easier to yeah. come out as gay which was illegal yeah and you had no, um, you couldn't predict how they'd respond no. than to come out about not Yeah, it was take a risk with your friends and they were all brilliant and they were very true to me. And, you know, just after that, the, the law changed. Yeah, I think 95 or something like that, roughly the law changed. I think. But for me, that puts into perspective how, 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 how the severity of not being able to read and write, how much that plagued mm. you and how, how it had been drummed into your head that you're worthless because you can't do this. And all this while, all these years, still undiagnosed. No. No clarity. Nothing no. at all. And, and, you know, I would rather have the pain of being mocked being gay than I would have, you know, not be able to read or write or properly in any case mm -hmm. um, and being labelled stupid like that, you yeah. know. And, you know, and I remember the pain as a young boy I felt, you know, when that happened and it literally broke me. I never wanted that pain again. I never, I never want to see anyone else have that pain again. Like yeah, that. I get that because I think sometimes when we experience the real rock bottom in life, we sort of swear to ourselves, I never want to go back <clears> to that <throat> place again. And I know in my own experience, I've sometimes then sacrificed missing out on some things because yeah. I'm so frightened do, yeah. of going yeah. back to that place because it yeah. was such an awful experience. Yeah, it's, it's a place I never wanted to go back again. Um, and it's a place I still don't want to go now. You know, I've got a different outlook now, which mm -hmm. obviously will... So when you just come out as gay, you weren't ostracised, you were accepted. No. So that was must have been a relief. Yeah, like... yeah. I mean, there was a few people who raised their eyebrows and things like that. But, you know, these people trust you to go to war with them. So, you know, they say, so what? And a lot of them are very supportive, even now to this day, mm -hmm. and very, very good. Is it fair to say, though, there was a point in the military where things started to unravel? Because yeah. there was only so long that you could... I don't know if this is unfair to say it, but wing it. Yeah, I, I, you know, as you go up the military, you have to take more exams, and they used to frighten me. And I used to do everything that I could. I was good at rugby, I was good at physical stuff, but I'd do anything to stay away from doing any exams. You and know, you were a medic, so... Exams. Exactly, you know. exactly, yeah. So, but, you know, um, everything's very much, like I said, physical. It's how you do it on, on the battlefield or, or, or you know on a street or in a barracks or anything like that. So it was yeah. very physical. And that was very good physical. And I was very good watching people who were doing things right and able to mim mimic them. Do you think sometimes when uh, we lack something, whether that's in our mind or we genuinely lack something, we make up for it in yeah, other areas? Yeah, other ways, definitely. Without, and that's when you have to really think the positivity and you have to think so positive about, okay, I can't do this like this way, but you know, there's more than one way to do it, even if it's out of the box, but it's a, it's a way to actually achieve a goal yeah. that is not in the normal sort of streamline. Because this is one of the big life lessons I take from you is, you know, you forgot the things that the people said you couldn't do and you put so much energy into the things you were able to do mm. and you became the best in your field at those things. I was, yeah, very lucky because I did excel. And by this point, after leaving the military, I wanted to learn. You know, I'd been built up again from being knocked down and I wanted to learn and I did a course with um, 
part of the Royal College of Surgeons, they called the British Association for Immediate Care. And well, um, you frightened. That's education. It really. was. It was. But I didn't read the course program. I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was practical. <laughs> Look, can you imagine? No, I know. If we signed up to basket weaving or something. You wouldn't know. <laughs> but it was it, actually. It, it was a good thing because when I attended that course. A um, lot of doctors, nurses, and uh, medics. You I mean, know, that's intimidating alone. Very much so. Um, and I thought I'm out my field here, but I thought, well, I'll just go for it. You know, nothing to lose. So is that is that your kind of yeah. outlook? You know, nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Just go for it. Yeah. And so as the course progressed, I was ended up doing really, really well on the trauma, uh-huh. cardiac uh, scenarios, and things like that. And and it got to there wasn't that much writing, bit of reading and stuff like that. And were you just just hiding it all? Yeah, because course? I was listening to the instructors because they're really good instructors. And, yeah. And you know, so I could take that in, absorb it, and spew it out. And it came to the exam the last day. And I had an A1 pass, an instructor pass. Wow. In, in the practical. Yeah. And they gave me the paper, okay, of the questions. I think you get an hour to do it or so. And I didn't finish it, the paper, and because I couldn't read. And I um, failed it. But this must have been quite confusing for the teachers because this wouldn't have been like back when you were younger where they would say, well, no. he's lazy and doesn't bother because no. here's a man with so much passion who's so intelligent, yeah. who's just flying through the physical side. That's right. They must have at this point said something doesn't add up. And they did actually. Um, and in the instructor forum afterwards, uh, there was uh, one of my instructors, Dr. Victor Calland, and he pulled me aside and said, he said, something's not right here. He said, tell me, why didn't you finish? You only did like a few questions and, you know, you passed as an instructor. I've seen you all the way through the, the course, the five days. Well, what's going on? You must have had that heart-sinking yeah, feeling. But, but I didn't want to tell him. And I had to hold on to my own passion and pride because remember the last time I told someone that I dyslexia or I couldn't read a write of the pages, I was branded a liar, stupid, you know, and I didn't want that again and I couldn't have that again. So it was a self-preservation thing. But in a moment of epiphany, I don't know, I burst out in tears and I, wow. said, and I said to him, I said, I can't read, I can't, I can't see the questions. And that was a huge thing for you to come out and say. I mean, is that the first person in your life you told that to? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. And from then, um, a lot of things changed. How did he react? When he you- reacted, he looked, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, we can, we can work with this. Oh, I love this man. Where is he now? <laughs> how, how wonderful, yeah. because how he reacted to yeah. that determined a lot of your future. M- massively, and I wish the teachers had reacted like that. I mean, he went back into the faculty room where there was Sir Keith Porter, the head of the Royal College Surgeons, uh, Professor Keith Porter, and he actually looked at my marks, and they actually went through it with me, verbally, and I passed as an instructor. So... So I had a phone call on the way on the way driving, and they said, "Just let you know that um, we, uh, the faculty, uh, the British Association for Immediate Care, all, um, have uh, all agreed that um, you should be an instructor." Were you on hands free at this point? I was on hands free. I was going to crash the car. I was. I phoned. Uh, you know, I phoned up. And I went. I can't believe this. You know. Yeah. And it was at the doctors on the course and nurses and, and stuff like that. But you know, and then from then on, they helped me right the way through. The teaching, the instructing, you know. By this time, I had coloured paper, um, green coloured paper to put on uh, to read. Oh, so that would help. Yeah, the transparent How paper. How does that work? Mills' syndrome that I've got is it's a neurological problem, so it's not optical. I can see very well, you know. But what happens is that there's a some 
some sort of cross wiring that's not correct. So it's in the brain. In the brain. It's not in the eye. It's not in the eye. So what happens is that if I see black on white, then for me, all the words move, okay, along the page. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they swirl and spin round, Mm -hmm. okay. Other times they come out in 3D. Right. Um, It's nauseating, it's horrible. So you get physical symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And you've, you've exhausted, tired of just trying to read a menu. That, you yeah. know. along with dyslexia, and, and, dyslexia ADHD. and ADHD so I had right. no time to like stop and prepare myself it was everything was 100 miles an hour and, and this disorder this neurological neurological disorder you're born with this yes and it's it's genetic hereditary I really don't know about that um I know that um it it could well be I don't think I've ever written any read anything proven on it yeah but um there's a there's a lot of people with it it's a form of dyslexia but a very severe form yeah um, and not everyone gets it not everyone gets all the symptoms but that's something but mine mine's the point it's it's called Erlen Mills Erlen Stress syndrome. I'm glad you said that because I had yeah. it in my notes. I'll let him pronounce it first and then I'll say it. Yes. Yeah. So we call it Erlen syndrome, but Mills Erlen stress syndrome or stress disorder. When did you get the diagnosis? So you passed this exam, and I wondered actually, I was interested to know yeah. when you got that call that you'd passed, what was a greater sense of relief the day you got that call or the day you came out as gay? The day I got that call. <sighs> wow. The, the, because that was the point where I said to myself, there's something I can do. It's, I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid, yeah. From then, you think started to change. And this doctor, Dr. Callan, said, you need to go back to school. I went, never. Never on my life, ever. <laughs> ever, 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 ever. That please, you please. Dread. Yeah. yeah. And he talked to me, and a lot of people uh, spoke to me. By this time, you know, life was moving on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd come out as gay, you know. And we're in the 90s so yes yeah yeah. yeah yeah and if things were looking a little bit brighter not bright bright but a little bit brighter and then i thought right i'm going to go back and learn and this was the scariest thing and i walked into the open university i met a lady called kerry wilcox now before just to let you know how i was feeling before i could walk in to anything that resembled a school yeah. or anything i had to make several oof, Hundred phone calls to them first. I changed my mind four times about starting a course. Yeah, the admin to sign yeah. up or something like this. Yeah, I, I, I said no, I can't do it. We'll help you. No, I can't. Went. I turned up. I wouldn't go inside. I walked away. Did you I, have that, anxiety? Anxiety, panic attacks. Everything was like, and I just thought to myself, I'm going to go in. They're going to know I'm stupid straight away. I'm going to stand on the chair, and they're going to laugh at me. Yeah, because that's the only thing that was in my mind from school when I, I was younger. I feel like you know when we speak to people in the military, we often talk about PTSD mm. from going to Afghanistan, Iraq. Mm. For me, we're always going back to this trauma at school that sounds actually, yeah. it genuinely was so great. It was, and, yeah. It, and was. it scares me now still. It scares me yeah. now. You know, I can cope with that. But, but the OU did so much wonderful things that Kerry came down and met me and she took me upstairs and she got me in with this educational psychologist right, okay. who would then properly diagnose the Erlen syndrome, who then put me in touch with the Erlen Association. Um, he did, I, I remember him saying to me, he says, he says, John, he says, I'm going to have to stop the examination. The, he says, I'm worried you're going to pass out. Really? Why? Because I was in so much stress. Right. Okay. You know, my legs were shaking. My arms were shaking. I'm very, very nervous when it, when it comes to things like the that. The real physical symptoms. Yeah. And, yeah. and he says, I've never seen anyone this bad. But in a way, was that, this is going to sound like a strange thing, but was that a good thing? Because it was somebody confirming what you thought you knew and you know it, it was like they were acknowledging actually this is genuine this is real absolutely yeah it was and it was like i was just waiting for any moment any moment at all he's going to turn around and say no you can't study here because 
because you, you did go on to but I go I did go on with the help of the OU which were fantastic by the way amazing in Cardiff and all the tutors around they all had a case history of me yeah from the educational psychologists and the doctors everything like that so I was given extra time in examinations and you, you learned with pictures is that right I learned with pictures I learned with voice um, mm. And now, obviously, um, I've increased my reading capacity right. to, I think, about age 11. I think, no, well, a little bit, little bit more than that. So. Yeah, but, <laughs> but actually, it, you know, you've gone on to get a degree. It took you nine mm. years. What's mm. the, the official title of your degree? It's, um, it's a BSc Honours in um, uh, Biological Health Sciences. Right, okay. So, which incorporates um, medicine, uh, psychology, environment kind of things as well. So, and I remember the moment where um, I was in Tenerife with my now my fiance, um, Alex, and uh, we were in a shop and I had a phone call from the university and they said, um, John, um, we've got some news for you. We've got your results. You mm. need to check your emails. Right. And I went to my results and I opened it up, very nervous, very scared like that. And I would have been happy with a grade four pass. To me, that would have been... I'm educated. I'd hate to find out over email. like <laughs> Exactly. And I opened it up and I was shocked because when I opened it up, it said, uh, John Spence, BSc Honours, 2-1. It got me a 2-1. And I was like, this is wrong. This is, they've sent me the wrong one. And I this, phoned at the university straight away. Self-belief. Phoned at the university straight away and I heard this shouting and cheering. And I looked at it and when. When, when the realisation hit me, mm. you know, that I got the 2-1 and the fact that I was let down when I was younger mm-hmm. and thinking what I could have been now mm. if people had invested in me or not. But you did it yourself, John. Uh, do, do you know what? I wouldn't even. I wouldn't actually even look back and think, "What could I be now if those people invested in me?" I would say, "Actually, look who I am." Yeah. Through my getting off my ass and doing it myself. There's so many people out there that moan about things, yeah. and they stay and they conform to a label that society puts them in. And what I love and admire about you is you went out there and you did it yourself and you made it happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, my my ultimate question for you is, how do you go on in life to be such a success? when somebody so early on tells you you'll never amount to nothing? Well, the biggest thing, uh, the biggest thing for me now is I've got, um, I've moved to Tenerife. I'm now getting um, engaged with my partner, Alex. He's a police officer in, yeah. uh, in the Canary Islands. He's been a very big inspiration to me. And, you know, from anything from reading a menu, when I forget my glasses, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, helping me with the reading and the writing. I'm actually learning Spanish now as well, which oh is really... <laughs> you gotta love this. I mean, it's, it's like, I'm now but, bilingual, <laughs> so, but, you know, see but, you later. But, I, but I, look at, I look at him and he's um, he works in a place called La Otava, where we live in, in Tenerife. He's um, become the head of the diversity police. Right, okay. Uh, for gay, lesbian, transgender, and all that policing worldwide. So he's a real okay. activist. Yeah, right? and yeah. he went to Paris with the, I think the association is called Gay Lesbian mm-hmm. Gay Lesbian Police, mm-hmm. um, and they went there for a big conference of how to, you know, change people's thoughts and how to do diversity. You know, I stand and watch him. And I think to myself, wow. But he looks at me and says, says to me, no, wow to you. He says, look what you've been through. Look what you've come, and look how much potential you have. And I always say, never look for problems, only solutions. That's a good one. Always. Yeah. I'm going to plagiarize ne- yeah. that and pretend I made that. Absolutely. Up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> do it. <laughs> Tweet that quickly. Um, now, with all my guests, I do. I sort of 
stalk them before I meet them. Mm. So I did an intense stalking session on you um, <laughs> last week, and I found a video on YouTube when you got your degree. Oh. And actually, you won an award, Inspire Awards. Inspire Awards, yeah. You actually now tr you help children who, like you, were not yeah, given the right chance. Yeah. Learning, learning difficulties within my company that I've set up. Right. Now, uh, Patronus Rescue. But um, going back to the, the award, when I got the award... Um, I was presented the honours degree in, in London, yeah. in the Barbican. And, um, you know, I had this, the gown on. You know, I'd only seen people wearing these gowns. You I thought I'd know. the gown on the video. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I remember going there and they called all the BSC honours and I went up, I walked down there and I just ran out. I ran out of the, of the whole auditorium. Because of fear? Yeah, because of fear. Because what? I thought... This isn't real. I haven't, I still, at that point, even though I've been given it, I thought I'm going to go on the stage. It's not, they're not going to give it to me. I but actually you know, thought they were not going to give it to me. It's such a cycle of abuse when people drum in your head that you're not worthy. No matter how hard you try in life, you still get that little voice on the shoulder. It is, and it was, and it was horrible. And literally, I walked down there. Everyone else had gone, and there was only me left. All the certificates and everything else had gone. And the Chancellor stood there like that. And the Chancellor said, I found out afterwards, he said, um, is there something wrong with John? Is there, has he got a sort of condition? Um, because they managed to get me up the stairs and two of the lecturers, my lecturers, said, you're going to get your degree one way or the other. And they grabbed me by the arm. Oh, wow. And they frog marched me across the stage, onto the stage. And I looked at the Chancellor and I was shaking. And he said to me, he says, are you all right? And I said, well... Th 35 years ago, I was told I was stupid and I'd never amount to anything. And now here I am picking up a 2-1 degree and this is the best moment of my life. And with that, he put his arms around me on the stage. I saw it. He and he hugged you. me. So and, and I looked around and everyone was standing up clapping. Yeah. And it scared me first because I thought they were standing up to point at me and they weren't, they weren't yeah. actually clapping me. So surreal. And that moment will live, will live for me for, for What a moment time. of pure joy. And to know that you got there with nothing but determination and hard work. Um, and also, you know, not to take it back to a, a dark subject, but you had some quite difficult times in a dark relationship. Very, very, yeah, very, very dark. And in, while I was studying my degree, I was, I was looking for, you know, levels for support. And um, I was looking in the wrong places. you do when you're vulnerable, yeah. Yeah, looking in the wrong places. And I met this, this person, this lad. Um, I thought he loved me. I gave him all my love because, you know, and everything. And he controlled pretty much my money, my everything. So he knew your yeah, problems everything. and he took advantage yeah. of them. And he'd read the letters. And when he knew I was doing my university and learning more and learning more, he didn't like it. And uh, he got very, very angry, very jealous. And... Um, he wanted to keep you where you were at. Yeah, he didn't want you yeah, to progress. Yeah. He didn't celebrate your growth. Yeah, he said to me, if I ever leave him, then he would kill me. Several times he attacked me um, and put me in hospital. Um, so it was a physically violent yeah, relationship. But I, I said, I've dropped the charges so many times. You know, I, it's my fault, it's my fault. It's, you know... And so he was... Always this pattern of blaming yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because I had no self-worth and I just wanted someone to... And anyway, he, he robbed my house. Um, completely, uh, literally when I was away working uh, um, and came back just for Christmas. There was nothing apart from, apart from the dog. Um, and then walking down the street one day, I had said hello to a couple of friends uh, who I knew from school or from university. Mm -hmm. He didn't like it. And in the middle of Cardiff, he ran over and he bit my ear off. 
I've had the yeah. surgery uh, to get to get it mm-hmm. back on um, for most of it, but they can't put the rest of it on. But he actually held on to my head, bit my ear off, spat my ear on the ground, okay, and then kicked me unconscious. Uh, what a vicious attack! I mean, how did you how did you escape that relationship? Um, well, the, the, the police came to me and they said, "This time, Johnny, it's not you pushing charges; it's us." And they what, said the first time somebody believes yeah, you in your life yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. And they, and because I dropped the charges before, and they said to me, "If you lie or don't give the proper evidence and try and protect him, then we will prosecute you, John." And, right. And I, but that, that, at that stage, I understood, and I said, "Yeah, this guy's going to kill me soon." And uh, he gave evidence, and he went away for about eight years. Really? Gosh, yeah, he right, went away eight okay. years, and he's got a permanent restraining order against me. And but at that point. I had done so well, halfway through the degree, that happened, and I was back to the little boy on the chair again. And I wanted to give up the degree. And it was only the people around me, the close people, like Dr. Callens, like uh, the OU mm-hmm. um, tutors, Kerry Wilcox, it's those people that kept me going, kept me fighting on forward. And that's why now I think now my way is, the, is a positive way. Mm-hmm. So no matter what's happened to me in the past, it doesn't matter anything at all. I look where I am now. Mm-hmm. And what I do is this thing where I pay it forward and I try to help other people. Even with nothing come back at all, you try and help them. For no return. For no return whatsoever. And that's what I try and do within the company. I take children and adults to let them to learn first aid. But with first aid, I put in um, my experiences with the learning. So if, so if people need to help each other. And so I think you're that's training the way medics, you're training doctors. doctors. Your mentor and children. children. Yeah, a lot. Because your story, for me, to summarise, really shows the importance of a mentor and the lasting effect of how we treat one another as human beings. Because you have an example in your life of somebody treating you, mm-hmm. well, many people treating you horrendously and the impact it had. And then you have this uplifting, phenomenal example of mentors that stuck by you and could see what mm-hmm. was really in you and, and, and got you to draw so that out. Right. And, you know, I say to everyone, like I did before, you know, everyone can learn. It doesn't matter what you learn, learn something, okay? And be positive, pass up positivity onwards. Uh, and I think that's really important in life. You know, there's one race, it's the human race, you mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. You know, and we need to help each other. Just one thing I need to say, because I said I'd, I'd mention it, that um, um, I, I get married to Alex in six weeks' time. Oh, you do? Oh, Tenerife. gosh, right. wow. Yeah. 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 So, that's so amazing. Yeah, so. Well, do you know what? I mean, I couldn't think of a better guest um, here today to sum up how important positivity is and how actually the change lies within us and we are the ones that can orchestrate it. So thank you so much. I find you so uplifting. You've got such great energy. And thank you for coming on the stage and being my guest. You've been amazing. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.